everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Anybody want more joy in their life? Anybody want less joy in their life? Nobody, right? Like joy is something we all want more of. And the kind of joy that Jesus offers us is holy. And we've been saying this, holy means like different, set apart, distinct, sacred. It is different than the kind of joy you can find like out there in the world. Um, It's different than the kind of like joy or happiness that you can open up in a present. Some of you kids are looking forward to Christmas morning where you open up presents like, but that joy is for a moment and then it's gone. The kind of joy that Jesus offers us like actually endures and can coexist with suffering and grief and pain. That's like different than the world's joy, right? Because the world's joy says, in order to be happy, try to get rid of those things, those people, those jobs who like cause you pain. And the kind of joy that Jesus offers, like actually gives you the buoyancy you need to stay connected and to love well, even when relationships get hard or difficult. That's what I mean by a holy joy that comes to us in the person in the gift of Jesus. And so what I did uh, to kind of help us get our minds wrapped around this idea of joy is I asked a few people to shoot little videos uh, and tell or share an experience of profound joy that they have had. So let's watch the screen. So there have been multiple times that I felt profound joy, um, but one of them was just a night with my friends. We were driving on Park Road towards Marsh Creek State Park and we had the windows open, it was a summer night, Um, the wind was just in my hair and I just looked out at the sunset and it was so, so beautiful and I just thought, I'm so lucky that I get to be here and that I get to be alive and that I get to just be here. And uh, it was a really special moment for me right there. The birth of Zachary brought me so much profound joy. We were so excited and waiting for him and then he was born and it just brought so much joy into our hearts. And then of course, the birth of Maggie, our daughter, and then a couple of months ago, the birth of Luke, they brought me so much profound joy. When I thought of moments of profound joy was when I got six years ago, the notification late one night online that my green card application had been approved. My permanent residency to stay in the US after 14 years here, lots of paperwork, lots of nerves, lots of prayer, lots of tears, lots of waiting. And I remember the feeling of just deep, deep joy over the next couple of days as I waited for the actual card to come in the mail. And I didn't tell anyone until I got the actual card. So it was mine to hold for a little while and it was it was really special. Um, and then I remember the moments of joy and expressions of joy when I actually had my card in my hands and went and showed my friends. I experienced profound joy for me would have to be uh, the day I asked Jesus into my life and asked him to take over my life. 
I was 24 years old and I had never experienced anything like that before. I had such a remarkable sense of God's love for me, the reality that He had forgiven my sins. And somehow I knew, even at that time, that my life would be changed forever. And it was. That's profound joy. I've experienced profound joy at least twice in my life, probably more, but two times for sure. When I married my wife in 1998, we actually had to throw out some of the pho photographs because of the absolutely ridiculous, ludicrous uh, smile that was on my face. Um, I was quite happy. But then, and I know this is cliche, but it's cliche for a reason, uh, if you're a parent, uh, when my children were born. Uh, dating my wife, marrying my wife, it's about us, which includes me. But the day that my children were born, it fundamentally shifted my center of attention uh, from me to them. Every day, all year, for the rest of their lives. That fundamental shift of attention although it's a great responsibility, also brings me profound joy. Good stuff, right? Maybe you're kind of drawn to think of moments of profound joy in your own life. And I didn't, I didn't coach these guys, but you noticed there were a few threads through it, what everybody shared. Did you pay attention to that? One of them was gratitude. Uh, just being thankful for a person or an experience. Uh, the other thing that, that was constant was it was always with people. It was never solitary, right? So it was, I was with my friends or I shared with my friends after my green card arrived or it was at a, you know, my wedding where I invited like people um, or like there, there was always a relational component. Uh, there, there were, that includes like giving birth to a new child, like Gracelyn, like you, your mom had this amazing sense of joy when you were born. And I, I like can relate to that. There's, there's a joy in uh, taking the focus off of yourself, taking love and giving it to somebody that is just so deeply precious to you. And if you would have asked the wise men, not three kings of Orientar, if you know that song, an indescript number of wise men or magi, what they remember in their life being a moment of profound joy, they would have said, that moment we met Jesus, even though he was a toddler. Wise men didn't show up along with the shepherds, despite some of the nativity scenes you see around. They came up to two years later. But it says here in Matthew, and I'll just reread what the Sanavongs said, said the star the wise men had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. That's Jesus, of course. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, in the original language, the Greek, uh, it's actually, it's, it's so over the top that none of the English translations actually hit it because it sounds ridiculous. Uh, it's like when Kevin was sharing like the ridiculous smile on his face. Like it's like 
the, the, the magnitude of the joy they're experiencing like would come through like this. They rejoiced exceedingly with a mega joy. Like it's just like compounded and compounded when they see this toddler who they like see for who he is, like Jesus the King. And this actually happens not to everybody, but it's a common thing when people meet Jesus, they have this joy experience. When they realize who he really is, they, they turn toward joy. They, they have joy well up inside of them, and then they go and they worship him. That's one of the options, of course, that you can respond to Jesus with. The other one would be the response of King Herod, which is fear. I feel challenged. I'm worried that my own kind of power and authority is going to be subverted here. And so I'm going to try to push uh, away the person of Jesus. I'm going to try and erase uh, what he really means to the world, right? And so we, we stand in the same place, each of us. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to respond with joy and worship? Or are we going to push him away because we want to live our lives the way we want to, right? Well, it goes on and says that uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of, do you remember? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's why people think that there were three uh, magi, and uh, these were kingly gifts, which is maybe where all the confusion comes from. These would be gifts that you would give to a king. So as we talk about joy, I want to um, kind of unwrap a couple of things about this. Joy has an emotional component. And I learned this from uh, a theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, which I just say that because saying that name gives me just a little bit of joy. He's German, and he says, you know, joy has an emotional component, but it's not only an emotion. He says it's not less than emotion, an emotion. It's actually more than an emotion because it's a place where, like, desire and will and choice actually come into an effect. Like, you can't talk about joy without talking about the emotional response, but it's, it's not only an emotional response. And we know that in part because joy is commanded. Did you know in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says to a church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord, Lord meaning Jesus. Whenever Paul says Lord, he's meaning Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And since joy is commanded, that actually means that we have some responsibility to express it, to maybe even feel it. And so with that like command, there's the understanding that joy can be cultivated. Now, you guys know what cultivated means? It's actually, it's an agricultural word. So cultivated is like what you do to the soil, what you do to tend to a plant so that it grows and bears fruit. And one of the reasons I like this metaphor is if, let's say you plant an apple tree and all you care about is the apples, you're not going to get very good apples or very many apples. Uh, so too with joy. If you're just all, all consumed with like experiences of bliss or of, of joy, like, oh, I felt good watching a Netflix show. I'm going to watch more Netflix shows uh, or try to re recreate the joy experience. You actually become kind of self-centered and the joy kind of shrivels up. And so the next time you 
uh, go looking for it. It's just like it's not quite as good. But uh, like, an, like an apple tree, if you want good apples, you have to tend to the tree to get good apples. You have to worry about like the roots and uh, where it's planted, you know, the leaves, is it getting enough sunshine? It, is there a disease in the plant? And so you, you, you tend or you cultivate the rest of the plant, and then what you get is good fruit. And so like too, so too with our lives, like there are other things to tend to uh, for us so that we might experience joy. But if we get too wrapped up in wanting more joy, uh, well, actually, it'll, that, that plan kind of backfires. So I'm going to try to make it uh, pretty, pretty practical today. We're going to get to like six things. And you're thinking, oh, no, we're going to be here forever. Six, six points today. But I'm going to move through them pretty fast. But there's, there's one idea uh, beyond what I've said already, right? That joy can be cultivated and joy has an emotional component. There's one more thing I want to say before I move on. Joy is relational. I never thought about this before, but I've been, I've been listening to a guy uh, who graduated from Fuller Seminary who's a counselor, but also very interested in brain chemistry and has made friends with a lot of neurologists. So he kind of takes uh, the Bible and brain science and mixes it together. It's like, uh, you know, if you tell the joke, if, if a, a pastor, a brain scientist, and a counselor walked into a bar, this is like what they would be talking about. They'd be talking about relational joy at the brain level. And so basically, in your brain, and I'm not going to use technical terms, and if you really want to listen to this guy talk, I'll send you like some links. Um, his name is Jim Wilder, not to be confused with Gene Wilder. In fact, if you type Jim Wilder into Google, uh, is if you say Jim Wilder quotes, it'll go to Gene Wilder. And he's the guy who played Willy Wonka. Uh, and, Willy, and he was in some other movies too, but I never saw them. I think maybe they were creepy or something. I don't know. But anyway, Jim Wilder uh, talks about how, um, you know, it, it, there's this center in our brain where joy is experienced. Other emotions too. You might even say this is like, this is kind of like where our heart lives in the brain function. You guys... So the kids, you're like, ooh, brains, right? But then you're going to get bored because I'm maybe going to talk about just a little bit of science here. But when, when you're born, like you don't, you can't really understand words and you can't even really see very well. So like the, the real small babies can't see, but they are, they are forming an attachment. From the day you were born, you begin to attach to your parents. But it's not, it's not through words and it's not even through vision. It's through smell and touch and temperature regulation. And so from the day you're born, your brain actually starts to build pathways to build infrastructure for joy that come from this relational attachment you had to your parents. After smell and touch and temperature comes sight and then like audio stuff. But uh, the crazy thing is that the joy gets attached to some of these, like not, not the words that are spoken, but to the, the tone of the voice. So when you're talking to your baby, they don't understand what you're saying, but they understand how you're saying it. And when you, when you look at, their, at a baby, the baby will focus in on your face and uh, in particular one eye. And what they're looking for when they look into your eyes is, are you glad to see me? Are you glad to see me? And when they, when they develop the ability to like kind of process auditory stuff, does the tone communicate 
Like, do you want to be with me? And that, that's, the, that's the brain patterns for joy. And the, the interesting thing is, uh, the, the person that is looking back at that baby, there's, there's a God connection here, okay? The person looking back at the baby will, will display these, like, either, you know, I am pleased to see you, I'm glad to see you, I love you, I'm filled with joy myself at beholding this baby, or, like, anger, anxiety, but whatever, whatever the kind of brain broadcast from the parent to the child is begins to get worked into the brain, uh, like chemistry and structure of the child. So like, as you think about the face of God, it really depends on like a lot of who you become and how you behave depends on how you view God. Do you view God as an angry God? Do you view God as a God who gazes at you with pleasure with joy, who wants to be with you. Like, I think this, this gets really interesting and I think kind of exciting to realize that joy is relational. And you heard that in the videos and you, you think back on your own life, you might think of some times when, oh, I experienced joy alone. Like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I was watching, nobody mentioned the Eagles. I can't believe that. But anyway, uh, you know, may, or maybe you're out in nature and you're out on a walk by yourself. I would actually argue that you're not alone in those moments. Um, we are getting these glimpses of the beauty of God when you're in nature or like the euphoric kind of feeling you have when the, when the Eagles win the Super Bowl, for instance, like it's, it's because you're, you're getting a glimpse of like, oh, this is what the goodness of God might be like, like maybe what the victory of God over sin and death might ultimately kind of look like. It's like a little glimpse into something that's, that's more true even than what you're experiencing. So even then, I don't think you're alone. But uh, let's, let's go into those six things I mentioned. The first thing I think we can learn from the wise men. I mentioned before that they brought kingly gifts. And I said, you know, if you want more joy, don't get wrapped up in wanting more joy. Place your attention to the health of the tree. So if you want more joy in your life, the first thing to do is to honor God. You want more joy, honor God with your decisions. Those big decisions that you're making, don't make them just for you. Uh, don't even make them just for your children or just for your parents. Make your decisions through the lens of honoring God. And you can find a whole bunch of stuff in, uh, in the Bible about what honors God and what dishonors God. But it, I say that with a little caveat because I, I don't think of the Bible as a rule book, but as a, as a relational book. Right? This is, this is about honoring God in the relational sense, not in the like Santa sense, you know, like you were good, so you get good things and you're bad, so you get bad things. Like think of it like uh, relating to a friend or a father, like someone you love when you do this. But don't just like honor God sacrificially. The, the wise men bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are really, gold is of course expensive. Myrrh, does anyone even know what that is? It's like, it's like a fragrancy, scented, oily type thing. Really, really, really expensive back then. Frankincense is used, uh, in the Bible at least, to, uh, to do something very specific. It's, it's used only when approaching the altar of God or in like the temple. So there's this idea of sacrifice and presence of God that get wrapped in. So honoring God sacrificially, that's kind of the idea. So my question to you is, if, if you want more joy, 
what are you doing sacrificially in your life? Are you doing anything sacrificially in your life where you're stretched a little bit, where it's not just about you and it's not even just about your family, but it's about honoring God sacrificially with your money, with your time, with your energy, with your focus. I can't tell you what to do, but I can point you toward this truth that we find in the the behavior of the wise men that leads them to this like exceedingly great mega joy. Okay, number two. Let's jump back to that uh, Philippians 4 passage. We'll kind of live there for the rest of the morning. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's, here's another little like behavior. You can't necessarily flip the joy switch, but you, can, you have something to do with how you interact with other people. And here Paul talks about being gentle. But I think it draws us back to the idea even more fundamentally that if you're talking about relational joy, you got to prioritize people. Like if you want more joy, build rhythms in your life to be with people, even if it's through like Zoom or through telephone, like it's life group. That's the idea behind life group, that people are exceedingly valuable. And and being, being present is like the first way to prioritize people, but also like to really move toward people when they're in pain, when they share their pain, when they're vulnerable. Not to try to fix their life or change their views, but to simply come and to love and to support them. But that works both ways, right? Like you, you know that when somebody opens up and shares pain with you, that you get closer to them. But if you're not willing to in kind or to first open up your heart and share your life with them, like you're not actually prioritizing people. If you're always fine, if life is always good, I mean, you're lying, but, but like if you're not opening up to some people that you want to be in deep relationship with about your pain, you actually haven't prioritized them. You've prioritized your own kind of your, your own self, and you've, you shut off a portion of your heart. Okay, number three. <clears throat> Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I feel like this is kind of like Paul reminding people what they already know. Like, we've talked about how the Lord is near, right? But in moments, if you want more joy, you have to be a little more disciplined about remembering that the Lord is near. This is actually something that the Bible has uh, in, its, in its very origins. And when you look back at the people of God, the people of Israel, they have established rhythms to rejoice. And so it's, it's largely uh, organized around holidays in the people of Israel's year. And the holidays basically get organized around two ideas. You guys know a few of them, Passover. Maybe you've heard of Purim. Uh, This is the celebration of uh, Israel's salvation from the like desire of a Persian king or really a Persian king's little henchman kind of guy to wipe out the the people of Israel. So the 
uh, it, celebrations are organized around salvation, right? So too, as Christians, we want to remember our salvation from our sin and from our shame and from our guilt. But the other ones are around like harvest time or planting time. So it's a reminder of the provision of God. And so to rehearse these stories is one of the ways that we can choose to cultivate joy. Uh, to, to make this a little more on the ground, I actually invited you a second ago to remember times that you felt profound joy. Remembering those times adds to your joy in the moment, right? Like remembering your wedding, remembering the birth of your child, remembering the time that you were with friends and having a great time actually can increase your joy. But don't just, uh, don't just rehearse it. We'll get to this. Well, let's just get to this now. <laughs> Be grateful for it. Paul says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, got it? With thanksgiving. How often? Always. Well, but my life isn't so great right now. Like I don't have the job I want and my kid misbehaves. Always be thankful. Not necessarily be thankful for the, the job that you don't like, but be thankful. You know, there's something to, like you have a job, so that's good. Uh, but like be thankful to God for the good things that he is giving you, right? Because all good things come from God. If you're, if you're tracking along, I skipped number four though, but uh, to stick with the grateful idea that came through in the stories, I was driving around yesterday thinking, okay, gratefulness. Like we've talked about this uh, we don't need to talk about it a lot. What do I even do to illustrate it? And then I drive by the Lionville Pharmacy, and uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one of my points. Thankfulness is the quickest path to joy. I went in there one time, and it's really expensive in there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, you know where this is? It's on uh, 113 and Gordon. Yeah. But, but here's the idea. Like rhythms with people, rhythms of gratitude. I remember... When we sat down for dinner every night, my dad said, God, we thank you for this food and for the one who prepared it, which was almost always my mom. So I thought like that was kind of like, but, but to be thankful for the food that we take for granted and remember where it came from and who prepared it, to remember like all these things we have, like can be grateful for, gets us into that mode of joy. Okay, now we'll back up back to number four, right? Uh, do not be anxious about anything. <clears throat> this is like the kill joy, like anxiety kills joy. And we've had plenty of it this year. Am I right? And what we do with the anxiety is not always obvious. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to take away from what your doctor might prescribe. Okay. I, I like doctors and I like medicine and all that. But, but part of what you need to do with your anxiety is you need to pray it, right? Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. First uh, Peter, this is a book written by Peter, uh, puts it this way, cast all your anxieties on God, for he cares for you. If you have, if you have a joy bucket, uh, like anxiety is like poking a hole an inch up, right? Your joy is never going to get, you know, try to fill that bucket. It's never going up more than an inch high because the anxiety kills it. They're like, it hijacks it. And, and 
it can be more complicated than this, but this is, this is something to do with anxiety because the Bible commands it. When it comes, cast it on God. Bring it to God. Part of that is trusting God, saying, God, I can't control this. I, I fear the worst may happen. But adding to that, and I trust that you are the king of the universe. I trust that you will be with me. And I trust, Paul says this, do you, you know this verse? This is a good one. Uh, to live is all about Jesus and to die is gain because then I get to be with Jesus, like in a more full, more intimate sense. And you find, like you find Paul in prison, getting flogged, rejoicing. Like he's not a, a sadist. Like he, he's not like, yay, pain, this is great. No, he's like, my circumstances are bad, but I know that there is something that will last longer than my current circumstance. And that is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus. And so I'm going to plant my joy in him because joy is fundamentally what? Relational, right? Okay. Are we already to number six? Wow, man, we, we, we did great. We did good. Okay. I was listening to this Jim Wilder guy. I wrote down his name. Hang on. Jim Wilder, Gene Wilder, Jim Wilder, Jim. And uh, he said something that really piqued my interest because he, he, he talks about getting back to joy and uh, how to engage that joy center. And it's not only through words, right? It's through tone and it's through facial expression. To illustrate that point, this actually happened to me this morning. Alice and my wife asked me something, but I was working on uploading like an alternate version of that video just in case like the soundtrack made Google take it down, which I didn't think was going to happen because I got the music from YouTube studio thing. Anyway, this is a side point. <laughs> she asked me to do something and I say, yeah, okay. But I didn't, I didn't look up from my computer and my tone was also flat because I was working on that video. And so even though I said, yeah, okay, she, she heard my tone and she saw my face and she acted like I wasn't willing to do it, right? Sorry, I'm not throwing you under the bus, love. I'm making, like, the words don't get to our joy center. Uh, we experience how people say it and what their face is communicating to us more than the words. So I might say, I'm happy to see you. But that you, you don't feel that way because it's not getting to your joy center. Uh, so so uh, Jim Wilder is really interested like from this brain thing, which uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about this, on how to get back to joy. And he says, one of the ways to do that is through singing. And I thought, whoa, okay. And th this hit me especially profound this week because I sing this song to my little girl who's like between one and a half and two. And uh, when, I, when I push her on the swing, I, swing, I sing, Swing low, sweet Isla Joe. Oh, how I love you so. Right, it's, it's mimicking the, uh, the old African-American spiritual song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Come, you know that one? Well, anyway, so I sing Swing Low, Sweet Isla Joe, because her middle name's Josephine. And this week, <clears throat> she started singing it back to me when I push her. Only she doesn't say swing low. She says swing more. <laughs> she says 
swing more. Sweet Isla Joe. And that, that was like a moment of profound joy for me to have my little girl sing back to me. And I thought, yeah, there's something about singing that taps into the joy in my heart. Some of you know this passage. In Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, God rejoices, has joy, experiences joy over you with singing. Did you know that God finds joy in you? That God is glad to be with you? That God sings over you? And so like when we sing, it's almost as if we've, we've sort of like caught this joy of God and we're, we're singing back and it's like, it's imperfect, right? Like when the Bible says, it's all over the, the Bible, right? Make a joyful noise, sing praise to him, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Uh, I always thought that meant, you know, you had to be like, make a joyful sound was like how it sounded, but it's actually like, it's a relational thing. Singing is relational. And so, I mean, that's what we're actually going to do right now. The worship team is coming up and we're going to sing. As God sings over us, I encourage you to sing. And I know like some of us aren't big into singing. And, uh, and it might be a little weird over the live stream to sing, but like, I'm just going to push you out of your comfort zone this morning and say, sing. Because it's one of the ways that we can like cultivate joy in our life. And it's a response. It's a response to his song over us. And specifically, this first song, I think, it uses a word that you may not be familiar with, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. The message of Christmas is that God wants to be with us. That God, God's face lights up because of the joy he experiences in relationship to us. I mean, that, that's what Christmas is all about. So I invite you to stand and I just pray, Jesus, meet us today. We thank you for the, the loving gaze that you have when you turn toward us. We need that. And so fill us with joy as we sing. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.